If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. We are the brothers, both DMs and players. I'm the one who gets sidetracked on research binges, Jordan. And I'm the one who doodled throughout history class, Travis. Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast a second time. Thank you very much. For coming back, we are capturing your attention with a hold person spell for incredible games. What do you think of that one? Uh, it's a little forceful. <laughs> Physically. Capture that one, restrain him, <laughs> tie him to the chair, and That's... force him to listen. One listener at a time, that way. <laughs> so the theme of this episode... All right. Let's talk about that. Half of D&D is in dungeons and caves. Yeah. So fantasy and monsters and loot is all great, but what is the most identifiable part of being in a cave for us Earthians? Being in the dark. Yep. Being real spooked. Real spooked. Being covered in mud. Getting closer. The dark, creepy things. The fangy, hairy, jointy, human-eaty, six-legged spooky beasts. That's uh, that's the one. Insects. Yeah. So insects are the original monsters, the OG monsters, and they're the ones that made the jump from fantasy into the real life. And they've been here longer than all of us. D&D already has some great insects and things that come from that, but we're going to talk about a new insect and some other mechanics and ideas around incorporating insects to your games. So I think before we do that, though, let's recap some of our favorite insects that are already in D&D and the mechanics that make them interesting. All right. So start us off. So we got the rust monster. Mm, yeah, I like I like the rusties. They inspire a different type of fear in players because it's really hard to get your players to actually be afraid when you're trying to make it a spooky game, but to threaten their stuff, that makes them mechanically afraid. Do not mess with my stuff. Yeah, so that's a good one. Honestly, when it takes out anything that is non-magical, like that can be everything. That can be belt buckles. That can be pretty soon you're dragging around a big sack of your stuff because you have no... You have no belt buckles to tie your sword that is now gone because it was non-magical. All my, of your stuff is gone. True. Even my chastity belt. <laughs> Every character has one of those, right? Yeah. Okay, what, else we, what else we got? <laughs> uh, let's talk. Um, I really like cave fishers. What's worse than being bitten? Uh, Trick question. Being bitten <laughs> at 30 feet off the ground above stalagmites dangerous stalagmites while being hugged like grandma on steroids that's an interesting description and i forget what cave fishers do cave fishers dangle the little danglers oh and they grab you and suck you up okay gotcha. yeah yeah bug biting that's one thing yeah. but bug biting where you're going to take falling damage and you're restrained and all kinds of oh man those are those are rough good one and what's the one critter that keeps Earth from being a paradise like the Garden of Eden? Uh, I Everywhere you've ever been, you've encountered a mosquito bite. 
Ah, yes. The uh, harbingers of disease and yes. pestilence with no real reason to exist on the earth. Yes. Frustrated 99% of humans everywhere. Okay. So in D&D, of course, they've done the Sturge, which is a really, really cool monster. Mm, yeah. Low-level monster that hits your base stats. That sucks. And in numbers, that can take down anybody real quick. Oh, man. Yeah, I totally forgot that, yeah, they, they hurt your base stats, which makes your character instantly. Like, it's one thing if you lose a sword to a rust monster. It's another thing if you lose your ability to hold a sword to a yeah, sturge. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. So Ooh. now all you need to take down any party, what you're saying is a rust monster with a sturge strapped to its head. <laughs> That's the dangerous weapon. That's some Island of Dr. Moreau shit. <laughs> yep. I've sewn a sturge to a rust monster. All right. <laughs> That's not one of our real ideas. Our first segment... All right, so our first segment, we're going to hit up that strategy stateroom, and we're going to talk about some ways to manage swarms and HP when dealing with multiple enemies. Then we're going to go over to Lamash 2's breeding pit to introduce you to a beetle-like enemy that we made. And then finally, we're going to go to the archives of the ancients for some real-world insect inspiration to apply to games, and I am super excited about that part, so let's just... Get through this so we can get to the fun stuff at the end. Let's get moving. All right. <laughs> Let's get into the stateroom. This is the strategy stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. All right. So take me through some rules that will make it easier to play the game. Okay. So fighting an individual insect is going to be a little bit boring unless you're fighting Shelob. Usually, yeah, yeah, that's true. Unless you're fighting one big-ass, hairy, possessed super spider. Then, yeah, you're going to have to throw more than one enemy at your players. Yeah, and that's the glory of insects anyways. Exactly. Overwhelming. So the big problem here is tracking that group HP. Okay. And the solution that I found works best for me is, and, and I think I'm not certainly not the only one to do this. I know a lot of DMs do this, but I think there's a big group of DMs that end up just shooting themselves in the foot. And I've actually been a player in some of these combats where the combat just seems to drag on forever because the DM is struggling to try to do all of the math behind all of the enemies that they're throwing at their party. Yeah, fair enough. Then slowing the game down. To get out of that, I often shoot myself in the foot. That's an easy way <laughs> Just out. literally do it. Guys, I have to go. I just shot myself in the foot. <laughs> so the way to get around this is actually tracking group HP, not as a swarm, as the actual creature type, but in a very kind of similar way, I just lump, say, 10 enemies together. I look at all of their HP and I say, you know what? This is now a pool of HP. Okay. And some of the great benefits of doing this is it's a lot less number crunching. Yeah. You just keep whittling away at that giant pool of HP. And it offers me a lot more narrative freedom. And as well, I think the players, and maybe you can speak to a little bit more from the player's perspective, but, but from the DM's perspective, I really like pooling HP because it allows me as a DM to say, you know what, this player just described doing something super cool. And even though they didn't quite hit the HP to kill this enemy, I'm going to allow them to do it anyways. So I get to play around with this pool of HP and be a lot more loose with it. As a player, I can even talk about going after multiple bugs. I can be punching 
a bunch of those suckers in the face and describing more interesting battle than looking at one beetle and decapitating it and then moving on to the next beetle. So I think what makes this technique extra fun is as the DM, I get to reward really cool combat that the players are getting into. So when you describe to me that you made this really cool stunning attack that leapt off of a of a cliff face and you did a downward threat, like I can really allow you, it doesn't matter if you didn't quite hit the HP, I can allow you to kill that enemy. Yeah, I'm going in dual daggers and a sword in my mouth. <laughs> That's a lot of weapons. And ball bearings in my pocket. That feels unreasonably dangerous. <laughs> Unnecessarily <laughs> dangerous. I'll probably hurt myself. <laughs> but yeah, I can describe like hitting multiple enemies and kind of get more creative with it as a player too, and it doesn't ruin the realism. Now, what if combats are still a little slow? Oh, man. We can also group enemies in a different way. So what I really like to do here is kind of spinning off of the Monsters Know, that great blog that talks about the thoughts and behaviors of monsters in a more realistic way. Okay. If we consider, say, goblins, you're a lone goblin. Yeah, life's rough. Yeah. How's your chances at surviving an attack on four-party members? I might as well just curl up in a ball right now. Yeah, just get out there and do it for them. <laughs> Stab my eyes out. <laughs> but if you're working in a group, how are you going to, now you're going to attack an individual of the party members? Yeah. Stay close. You're going to try to all pair off with one of the adventurers to make it a nice, fair, even fight like goblins tend to do? Heck no. Nah. <laughs> I'm going to stay behind every other goblin if I can, but and right behind them and then reach over their shoulder with a stab. Exactly. So you're going to work better in greater numbers. Yeah. You're going to swarm. So this is pooling all of those monsters and basically making one monster out of them. So now we're going to describe being attacked by 15 goblins. Yikes. Well, they're, they're working in groups of five to take down one of the adventures. So now you've got technically three monsters, even though you're describing 15 goblins, and you as the player have five goblins that are gnawing and biting and stabbing. Yeah. And gouging. Spitting. Touching. So you as a player, you are getting a little bit more creative freedom as well to describe what these goblins are doing to you and what you're doing to the goblins. And you're still technically fighting one monster, but it sounds a lot more adventurous and epic, right? Yeah, and a lot more, you can be a lot more descriptive with that as I pick up a goblin by the throat and punch it and throw it at the other goblins and all that kind of stuff. Totally. I like it. Yeah, that's kind of like this basketball game I've played in middle school where there was a bunch of short kids on the other team whenever i had the ball they would just all run up to me the entire team on the court would just run up to me <laughs> until i threw the ball to somebody else i don't know how they were in middle school i don't know if they had a strategy of in sometimes you recruit older more skilled players their strategy was recruiting younger more <laughs> aggressive players all of them were just trying to recruit the Charles Barkleys of yeah. the team. It's <laughs> like, trying to find one. You don't get to join this middle school basketball team unless you're under three feet. And it, it surprisingly worked pretty well. <laughs> we still won, but it sure slowed us down. <laughs> just like goblins. How many players is on a basketball team? I don't remember, like <laughs> three or 85? <laughs> Somewhere, Somewhere in between <laughs> somewhere there yeah no that would definitely slow me down and yeah so you, i think your goblins can work in a very similar fashion they yeah. just swarm middle schoolers with knives that's goblins or bugs 
Oh, yeah, back to bugs. Back to bugs. <laughs> That's two of my favorite techniques of actually handling group swarms and keeping the games going quick. Yeah, you got to keep that game flowing. Otherwise, you start losing all of the momentum and the adventure and the fun, and your players are browsing Reddit in no time. Reddit. Damn Reddit. I'm kidding. I love you, Reddit. <laughs> all right, let's move on to Lamashtu's breeding pit. This is Lamashtu's breeding pit, where the most vile and deadly of creatures are birthed and unleashed upon doomed adventurers. All right, so we're talking about a bug that we made a few years ago. We needed a terrifying monster that would tie together several different stories that were all happening concurrently in an epic that we produced. The idea was, was that this monster would be a kind of a persistent experience for everyone at every single table, despite the fact that all of them were playing through different storylines on each one of their tables. So we had to come up with this creature that had many different kinds of subcategories within this one type of, of bug. Yeah, and we took that even a step further to act as cattle within the town. Player experiences ranged from experiencing them being eaten and used as uh, livestock to being in fierce battle with them underground. So the story actually took place in a small idyllic town where they were using them as a food source. And then later on in the story, they discovered, most of the players discovered that they were actually a hive mind. Oh, big shocker there. Eh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bugs were never hive mind. <laughs> so we created different challenges of these bugs and different types of these bugs. And they're very much beetle-like. They're about as big as a large dog. Yeah, I would say a little bit bigger than that. And we have some pretty cool art for them that Travis drew. But the four levels are, you've got your workers, which are the weakest. They just do, do some basic attacks, and th then you step it up to soldiers, which are a little beefier, a little tougher, start biting you real real nasty. Then you go into your scouts, which you've encountered the workers and the soldiers. You're starting to think you got a handle on things. But then they fly. Oh, shoot dang. And then finally, as every hive mind has, you need a master, which controls all of its underlings. And what we created for the master was if you kill the master... Another bug from the community goes through a metamorphosis to become the new master. After you kill the master, you do have a little bit of downtime in which the rest of the bugs are kind of just losing their minds, gyrating. That's right. Get a few stabs in. Because we conceived of a final showdown where very similar to the parallels that we were obviously drawing from Alien... <laughs> which alien drew from bugs <laughs> so it's kind of a circle of life the yeah <laughs> so what we did here was we wanted a specific moment where if the players were ma managed to kill the queen the master bug that they would have a few short moments where they are in this deep dark underground lair and all of the insects are somewhat confused it gives that sense of hopelessness because you've got just a few precious moments before another of the insects goes through the metamorphosis and becomes the new mats master. Starts cracking its shell and growing weird bits and becoming more powerful. And then you're screwed again. We also had some effects for those, did we not? 
most of the effects and abilities of these bugs are somewhat predictable in what we've explained, but where it gets really interesting is their bite. It has a psychoactive saliva that can give some pretty wild effects. Like, well, I want to trip some balls. I'll get bit with uh, yeah, bit by a it, bug. It definitely serves as an item that you can then use in your world as a drug or as a something light in food, which we were trying to work in there too. But we've got four psychoactive effects from the saliva that you roll for when you're bit. The first one's called panic and pause. Then you got taking flight, gnawing hunger, and devil's paranoia. Which one do you want me to dip my beak into? Ooh, let's do panic and pause. Sounds start to become heavily distorted and muffled. Everything is happening at a panic-inducing speed around you. You're driven by an overwhelming desire to physically restrain or hold down everything moving in your vicinity in an attempt to stop it all. So you're trying to stop your own teammates from even moving. You're trying to pull everything down to the ground. Mechanically, that gives you advantage on strength checks and you can't understand spoken words. So your friends can't even communicate with you. Yeah, they're trying to stop you. You're losing it. Yeah, play it up a little bit. So if you do manage to start harvesting some of these psychotropic drugs from these bugs, that becomes a really weird drug den. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I mean, just a dabble, do you? It doesn't get you quite that messed up if you just take a little bit. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, check out uh, our Patreon where we have the stats for that thing where the other three psychoactive effects are listed. Yeah, I was a big fan of these monsters, and I know a lot of the players that joined us for our epic thought these were a particularly crushing enemy that just kept coming and coming. And like Jordan said, there's some custom art. They have completed monster stat blocks, and it's all in a PDF format. So feel free to give those a download and terrorize you your party. Yay. Okay, on to archives. Of the ancients. This is the Archives of the Ancients, where knowledge is unearthed to add wild insights to our world. So we each did some research on bugs, right? Yep. And we're going to verbally assault each other with facts about those bugs and different ways that you could use those facts <laughs> in game. Your... I love verbally assaulting you. So, yeah. Who wants to go first? I'll start off. I got some neat ones up my sleeves. Oh, they will not even compare to mine. Okay. The horror. We're going to get into it. So the first one on my list is the Japanese honeybee. These bees evolved next to a deadly variety of hornets in the same area. The hornets are truly terrifying. They tear into beehives and a few scouts can take down hundreds or thousands of bees in a matter of hours and the bees can do nothing to stop them. That sounds a little unmatched. They just go through decapitating, chomping bits off and... Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's mayhem. It is a horror film unlike any other. Mother Nature, why you do that? Yeah, I don't know. Come on, hornets. <laughs> um, that's, that's like a, a trained boxer going into a nursery and just starts kicking babies. Exactly. <laughs> I like that. So what the nursery babies learned to do in the Japanese honeybee variety is take these boxer scouts down by surrounding them. Okay, now I'm really into this yeah, metaphor. I'm <laughs> confusing it all. So yeah, the bees, they latch onto the hornets. 
The bees are much smaller than the hornets. Okay. The bees just swarm it and latch on and completely encase it in a tomb of living bees. The bees can stand a slightly higher temperature than the hornet. So they burn the hornet out. They boil it to death with just uh, body lighters? heat. No, just body heat. Body heat. Yeah. That's all it takes. That's what they figured out. How to stop these scouts. Because if these scouts make it back to the rest of the hornets, they're doomed as well. Holy living shit. So, babies, if you're being attacked by boxers, <laughs> swarm them <laughs> with your mask. And just wait for the boxer to get extra sweaty and pass out. Yeah, that would probably die. do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I thought of a way to use it in game. Okay, lay it on me. You're walking through a dungeon. You got your swords. You got your torch. Ready for action. Mm-hmm. An insect the size of a baseball rolls up, hard-shelled. It only like a has a pill bug. Yeah, kind of like a pill bug. Okay. Its only actions are to grapple you and then to vibrate. One of them latches onto your leg. Fairly innocuous. Uh-huh. I wouldn't be concerned yet. Are you trying to get it off yet? Yeah, I would probably brush it off. Okay, well, you've got a disadvantage to escape the grapple because they get their hooks right in there. Okay. When three or more get on you, they start to use their vibrate action and heat up. So when three or more are grappling a single target you got to make a constitution saving throw or you lose consciousness. And they just keep swarming the same target. So your party members are hopefully trying to get them off of you and save you. (laughs) (laughs) Or they abandon. (laughs) Or they just run for it. (laughs) But yeah, starts off innocuous, becomes very quickly, very deadly. The rogue in the group has already left. Yeah. Or, well, target the rogue. They go for rogues exclusively. (laughs) Okay, now, now it's interesting. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I like that. Ready for bug number two. We got glow worms. Heard of those? Mm-hmm. They hang down their glowing lines of sticky silk that attract prey. So kind of like the cave fisher. Kind of like a cave fisher, but I figured you could add this little ability onto any other monster that you want to use it with. My immediate thought was for a piercer. Mm-hmm. Piercers drop onto their prey. They blend right in as a stalactite in caves. And so if you gave them a sticky filament that... They hung down that was nearly invisible to the naked eye, the filament itself. And at the end of the filament was a glowing orb, much like the glowworms do. Very much like a drift globe. So you go and you check out the drift globe, and that's when the piercer knows to drop. Yeah, as soon as the globe is touched for any reason, piercer drops. Smart. Because one of my issues with piercers and creatures like that, they're great for just blindsiding your party but (laughs) as a dm and as a player i kind of like to have a little bit of caution or warning a lead up what's coming rather than just a hey you failed a check and now screw you because i could just say that the cave implodes and then that's a lot quicker of a way to (laughs) eliminate my (laughs) party pretty much how the how the (laughs) piercers work yeah yeah cool and finally My last idea for using bugs in games is a little bit of a mix of a few. So we've already done some combat-based stuff. My third thing I'm bringing to the table is using bits of bugs for other purposes. So real quick, one of them is beetle wing art and design. A lot of cultures in Asia use beetle wings to make decorations and art because they're durable, flexible, and they have a really cool metallic greenish tint to them. So what, they grind it up and they use it or do they actually use like the whole beetle wings or what's they, the deal? They take the beetle wings and they sew them together because they're really easy to sew together apparently. Jesus. And it makes like very cool textures and tapestries and all that kinds is of wild. stuff like that. Yeah. 
So I was thinking, you've got your fire beetle. Anyone that's not familiar with that, they're basically just a giant beetle that glows. You find them in caves in D&D, you stab them, then you got something to use as a torch. What if you took their wings and made armor out of it? It could act as a chain shirt with no dexterity modifier maximum, and it would shed light like the beetle does for 10 feet bright light and for 10 more feet dim light. Very cool. Or like a cloak. Yeah, you could make a cloak out of it because it's a lot more flexible and... Very cool. And you get your hands I'm free. I'm it. Very low magic item, but uses the fire beetle to make that magic item. Absolutely. And that cool. might be a really good thing for, say, a low level party to actually start to introduce some of those magic items and make them feel a little bit more like they're interacting with the world yeah. and creating things from the creatures and items that they encounter. Totally. Out in the wilderness. So then we've also got using insects to spread disease like has happened in a lot of major conflicts throughout world history. Like the aforementioned mosquitoes Mm -hmm. and wonderful malaria. Mosquitoes are just dicks. (laughs) So I was just thinking you could add a little item into the game where you could take any of your own homebrew diseases. People make a lot of them online. Or you could use one of the ones from 5th edition, like Sewer Plague, and you just have a bug-filled jar you can toss out and cause that disease. I dig that. You make yourself your own little homebrew grenade. Yeah. Very Grenades cool. that don't cause damage, but like you could throw them in a group of people. You could throw it in a group of nobles. What kind of terrorist campaign are you running? <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. It's not kind. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> no, you're done. That was no, like no. three in one. This is a, my third for the three in one. That was two in one. <laughs> okay. All right. Last of the last. You've got dermisteads or carpet beetles, which are used to clean all material off of skeletons or bones for when you're working with those things as a smart person do. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So how would you use this in game? Well, you don't need bones cleaned usually, but what if you had a necromantic item that, again, it was a holding vessel for bugs. So what if you had some kind of a beetle, a small beetle that had that same effect, you're carrying a sack full of it or something much cooler than a sack. Like what? Oh my God. You mix this with an actual bag of holding. And you fill that bag of holding, that extra dimensional space, with... Piranhas. No. <laughs> your dermisteads, your, okay. your creatures that are peeling the, the stuff off of bones. <laughs> Except I wasn't going to have them peel the stuff off of bones. Okay. I was going to flip the script. So the sack of beetles or bag of holding of beetles, you could do multiple uses. They put meat back on the bones? There you go. So Really? (laughs) That was a shot in the dark. I was not (laughs) expecting this. You empty the bag onto the skeleton. It's one use item. The bugs attach themselves and act as the animate dead spell. The fuck? Getting into them joints and all of a sudden you've got a summoned skeleton. One time only. But if you had a bag of holding full of them, I guess you'd have multiple uses. Okay, that's cool. Yeah? I dig that. Got a good one? I didn't expect (laughs) that. That was a surprise. That's a good one. Hey, thanks. And that's all I've got for you today. All right. My turn. Give it. So we're going to start off light and we're going to go weird with it. Okay, So then my first one. Do you remember when we lived in Costa Rica? Yes. But do you specifically remember the cicadas? Those bugs. Yeah, we were down there for a very specific time of year because cicadas have a life cycle 
where groups of them will burrow and stay there until it's their time to come out. Which is like every seven years or something like that? Well, that's their actual life cycle. But when you get enough, every once in a while, every seven years, there is one year that has particularly more, and they kind of start to sync up. So every year you have cicadas. Right. But some years you have a ton of cicadas. Just an insane and amount. And at the time, it was deafening. It would just keep building and building and building until you realized that it sounded like you were at a concert. You were yelling like you would in a crowded bar yeah. to get over these noises of these beetles. But if we take this and we put it into D&D, imagine a town that is used to a particular type of creature. It could be a bug. It could be goblins. It could be anything, but okay. it has a life cycle. As you and your party approach the town, the entire townspeople get ready like it's no big deal. Like they're used to this weird cycle okay, in part their of the local area. Yeah. yeah. But they're boarding up their homes. They're prepping against this oncoming onslaught of creatures that is about to descend on the town. So they know what they're doing? They know what they're doing. They're used to this. Okay. But your party is not. Oh. So where are you going to stay? They charge an exorbitant rate to stay oh. in their fortified hotels. Greedy little guys. Well, you're an outsider and you're coming <laughs> to town at the wrong time. Yeah. So, yeah, um, that's kind of an adventure hook. Like, you, could, I think you could have a lot of fun with that. Yeah. Maybe yeah. even helping the townspeople prepare for this oncoming onslaught or, and, or defend against it. A time-based uh, rescue quest. There you go. Somebody went out and picking for mushrooms and they're gone. <laughs> Please help find them. <laughs> Do help the old timey radio person find his nephew. <laughs> he, you go to him with anything you need to announce to adventurers. Okay. So that's number one. The next one, the Alomeris ant. Sounds intimidating already. These are really interesting ants because what they actually do is they build murder logs using their own body hair and fungus for glue. They build these oh. little channels that they then bait. So they bait it and they wait for a larger insect to come and check out their bait. Then they pop out of every crevice within this tree that they tend to live in. And they capture the insect by swarming all over them, and at which point they start pulling this creature in every direction, oh, like a medieval torture device. That's so violent. What if the trauma that your character is dealing with was the dark secret slash memory of having to leave behind their best friend when they took the bait of checking out a discarded, old, broken down royal depository carriage? that may have had a little bit of gold still left inside. Oh, I'm scarred. And that friend approached it only to have goblins pop out of all of these little <laughs> hidey holes, and there was nothing you could do. You knew it was over for them. Oh. And so you abandoned your best friend. Oh, that's rough. That's a bad time for the rest of life. Or maybe that's an actual encounter. You find a, a slot canyon that has a bit of a piece of bait there, whether it's, yeah, a person yelling for help or something like that. And the goblins do something very similar. They just come out and they swarm and they pop out of all of these little makeshift hidey holes. I like that. 
I keep spinning off in different directions with that already. Like they could have little ropes tied around each of their waists and you could use that to have the other goblins pull them out of the, your threat range oh, without yeah. getting an opportunity attack. There you go. Yeah, if they're all up on the cliffs yeah. and they're like on little reels, like, yeah. <laughs> you got other, you got like hobgoblins fishing goblins down. It feels very Mad Maxian with the people on the, yeah. on the poles. Oh man, you could just keep running with this. I like it. Cool. Okay, so my third and final one. Now you've got hermit crabs. You've also got a spider. This one was particularly interesting to me. There's a spider, a particular species of spider that makes itself look like an ant. It holds its two front of its eight legs out in front of it to look like antennae of an ant. Hmm. And it does this so it can casually walk into colonies to murder and eat. Oh. So it just, it looks exactly like any other ant and you should Google a picture of it because its middle part of its body is actually split into, it has a little bit of a lump. So it looks identical to an ant. Weird. So does it do it rogue style and like take them down one by one? Basically, yes. Oh man, it's like, hey man, hey Max, come in here. Remember got... me? I'm your best friend. Yeah, I have some gold that is cool. And stab, it... stab, stab, eat, eat, eat. Dang. Yeah. So imagine this. You're traveling down the road to the next town. Yep, I need some no new swords. When in front of you, you hear the clanging of pots and pans, swords and shields, because clearly there's a traveling salesman coming towards your party down the road. Oh, ding, ding, perfect. And this traveling salesman yells out, General goods trade by sale. Yeah, okay. Seems a little off. Yeah, it's a little weird, but everyone's a little weird. So as you approach, the trader moves with more of a shuffle than a walk. He pulls a rolling handcart. The closer you get, the more this trader has seen some rough years. Oh, man. Kind of gross. And you notice the smell of decay. But maybe it's just the meat on the cart. Maybe he's just been traveling too long, hasn't had a good shower. Maybe just the meat on the cart. Yeah, like you said. You extend a friendly greeting now that you are close enough to see his friendly smile in return. But something is off. Oh. He's missing a brightness that is usually present in living eyes. Spooky. General goods trade by sale. Yeah, I'll do he my deal from again. here. <laughs> what do you you got? keep your distance? Something is very wrong. This man appears to move as if he were one of the marionettes that you saw a local performer in the last city that you came from. Oh, dang. So now we've got this monster that uses people as kind of a lure and puppeteers them from within. Oh, uh, and maybe they, maybe they're actually like living inside the backpack, like the large because you you always have these traveling traders that okay. have these huge backpacks and they're they're burdened and they're kind of shuffling and lumbering. Ooh, so yeah, that's like the preferred prey is someone with a big backpack. Well, essentially, travelers yeah. make their way around. You don't usually pay attention to them. They're the ideal prey for you to take over, for this creature to take over and puppeteer oh. from within its backpack. So they get their tendrils all up in them yeah, or something? Yeah, like, and... like digs into their spine and now all of a sudden this thing is... And we can make it one step weirder if the creature is actually being fed and doesn't actually want to feed on you. So what if the traveling salesman is actually 
a really nice person and it's like a sentient creature, do you kill it? Oh, that's dark. Like it can still talk to you? What do you mean? It can talk to you. It, like it, the actual traveling merchant? No, no. The, oh, okay. the creature itself. Clearly it's killed this traveling okay, merchant. Okay, okay. But it's now going to latch on there forevermore. Mm-hmm. And he's giving you some great deals. Oh, so it's not acting in any way that's aggressive or harming towards you. I mean, you... it could, but what if it doesn't? Yeah, that's I see what you're saying. That's like a moral quandary. Like, do I let this weird thing that did this live? Barf. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's good. All right. Well, hopefully that was helpful. <laughs> or inspiring. Yeah. Gave me some ideas to work I on. I don't know. There was some really, you had some pretty, pretty good juicy gems in there. I may or may not have to use a couple of those. Yeah. All right. I think that wraps it up. Are we done? Almost. So first, thank you very, very much once again for listening to another episode of our podcast. We appreciate you so very, very much. If you feel like following us, you can on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Hook and Chance. Our site is also available at hookandchance.com. But if you want to find a link to our Patreon there, that's where you can find the Algrab bugs that we previously mentioned, you can give those a download. And of course, all of our other supporting content is hosted there. All the sound effects for this podcast was created using Tabletop Audio. Thank you so very much to Tabletop Audio for providing such great sound for our D&D games. Thanks for listening. And play, play great, great games! games.